Adam Williams, and you are listening or perhaps watching to another episode of Retail Redeveloped. I'm really excited today because we're talking to somebody that I've been friends with for an awfully long time. Not to, not to make it sound like we're old or anything, but I'm being joined by Irene Vogelsong. Now, who is she? She is the Associate Principal of Corporate Interiors for Perkins & Will. Now, I'm going to let her explain who and what Perkins & Will is. Uh, suffice it to say, they're a massive architectural group with, with a huge presence, both in Charlotte and many, many other markets. Uh, we're going to talk about a few things today. We're going we're gonna to skip over the present a lot because everybody knows where we are now. We're going to focus on the future. We're going to talk about a report that Perkins & Will has just come out with that, that I, I found fascinating and very forward-looking. But before we do that, Irene, do us all a favor. Tell us who you are. Tell us a little bit about Perkins and Will and tell us how you how you came to sit in the seat that you're in now. All right. Well, thank you, Adam. Wow, what an introduction. I so, told you I was yes. going to put my radio voice on. <laughs> you really did. I hope I have my podcast voice going here. But um, so, yes, I, I am Irene Vogelsong. And with Perkins and Will, we are a global architecture and design firm. Uh, we have locations uh, around the world, around the country. Uh, we're the second largest um, architecture firm in the world. And with that, we have always, um, our focus has always been growing through acquisition of entrepreneurial, smaller design thinking, innovative thinking firms. Um, and we we have held on to that culture uh, very, very well. And what we feel it does is instead of letting the firm grow so that it's a more, you know, like-minded firm all the way across, we value the diversity that all of the different studios um, that we have either acquired or or opened in, in other cities, that diversity is not lost, but rather becomes the fuel for innovation in our firm. So innovation and research is what we lead with because we lead with design and we feel that innovation and research just really makes design that much more powerful. Um, so, you know, how, how I ended up here, um, well, I, I'm actually, my real name is Irene Saprisa, so not Irene Vogelsong. I, I married. Friends call her. I, I, married I don't say it because I would butcher it. <laughs> I married a, a, a Vogelsong, hence my name. But I'm originally from El Salvador, and I, I grew up in this tiny little country, um, tiny little country. That, um, it, but it's very dynamic. We go from a sea level to eight thousand plus feet above sea level within a two and a half hour drive. So you can imagine um, growing up surrounded by majestic volcanoes. I think we have twenty-two volcanoes in this tiny little footprint of a country. Um, I grew up with the view of a volcano outside my bedroom window. Um, you know right as the backdrop for the school where I went to school at. And um, we always had experiences of uh, traveling around the country to visit these beautiful, majestic places that were inhabited by incredible people. Our people are just a ray of sunshine. And um, I, I firmly believe that all of that um, led me to the profession of, of architecture and design. I was always entranced by beauty, whether it was beautiful landscape or beautiful people. And 
And when I say beautiful people, I mean just the beauty that resonates from within them, right? The way they light up when when they come to an amazing space. And all of that just started to send set really the groundwork for, I want to be a part of creating that happiness and that spark that people, you know, that flushes over everybody's faces when they're in a place that is truly remarkable, when it's, when it's a human-centric and when it's it's done well and and things all come together and there's that sensitivity to lighting and materials and and volume and space and proportion um so i i was always also the rebellious one in my family so i did um i i as soon as i got a chance i i left and i went up to new york and pursued an education in architecture which then took me to to italy because of beauty, right? <laughs> Pursued another education in architecture and came back to New York and where I worked for um, a large portion of my career before moving down to Charlotte. So that is that is a little bit about my background and how I ended up here at Perkins and Will in Charlotte. So before we talk about a lot of like nerdy retail and architecture stuff, do you think, um, not to get too deep in on this, but do you think being able to see something as intense, <clears throat> beautiful, yet dangerous as a, as a volcano every day when you look out your window, how do you think that shaped kind of your, your pursuit of, of, this, of this passion? Do you think the impermanence of or temporary kind of feeling of, of life or do you think just the, just the power of, of looking at something like that changed the way you kind of your, your worldview? All of that. Absolutely. The power of looking at something that beautiful, but at the same time, that dangerous, right? Um, As well as, you know, when I grew up in El Salvador, I did grow up during the Civil War, and I can't tell you how many times we went, you know, there were weeks where we didn't have running water or power. Um, There were bombs going off in not too, you know, distant uh, locations from where I lived. And all of that was definitely a reminder of, of how short life is and, and how important experiences are and, and people, um, how important those people that uh, become such a part of our lives, how important it is to, to spend quality time and, and remain optimistic. If you lose your optimism, you know, what do we got left, right? I mean, yes. So all of that was definitely a part in, in it sounds like some pretty good training for 2020 as well. That's right. Uh, it was a, a, you know, I grew up with resiliency all around me. And during this um, pandemic, it's, we put on our resiliency hats and, and right. living through it, all of us. Well, and, and, it, and it's a, again, not to, not to get sappy, but it is kind of a, a pivot point or like a refocus point, I think, for a lot of people. I know it has been for me. I know it has been for a lot of my friends and family. It's just, um, just really makes you kind of, sit back and think about, you know, what should be at the top of the, of the list. Um, but let, let's go into, let, let's talk about real estate. Let's talk about architecture. You know, one thing that is on, so all, all day, every day, I'm talking to, you know, institutional type owners and users, um, you know, a lot of retail, but obviously a lot of office users as well. Um, and you guys have huge practices for both. You know, what is the word on the street? Because there's, there seems to be two rival camps, right? So we'll, we'll stick with the, the Civil War theme for a minute. There, teams, there seems to be the camp that says, you know, the office is dead. 
you know, there, no one's going to come back to the office. Productivity's through the roof. You know, we're going to, it's just not ever going to be the same. And then I hear from other extremely well-connected and intelligent people that productivity is starting to falter. The newness is wearing off of working from home. We're, uh, users, office users, companies are going to need more space because you're going to, one human is going to, in essence, take up more square footage. So it seems to be this, this massive divergence of, of opinions on what the kind of ramifications and the reverberations of, of COVID are, are going to be from, a, from just a design and an actual human user perspective. I, I'd love to hear your own opinion, obviously, but also, you know, what, what are the think tank guys, you know, crunch, crunching numbers and algorithms? What, what are they saying about this? Well, they're saying a lot and, you know, we're, we're, we're researching a lot. We're doing things from surveys, surveying amongst our different studios, as well as our, our clients. Um, and what we think, I mean, this is, this is pretty much how we see the future office models. We see three future office models um, right now. One of them would be business as usual. So take pre-pandemic time, post-pandemic, there will be some businesses that will come back to the workplace as if nothing happened. Um, the next one will be a mixed mode, which is something similar to what we're experiencing on uh, somewhat on some level now. That mixed mode involves 40 to 50 percent of um, employees working uh, remotely and coming into the office on an as-needed basis with the remainder 40 to 50% coming into the office every day uh, for collaboration, for meetings, for using work tools in the workplace and, and all of those other types of functions. Um, the third more radical and in my opinion, exciting um, idea for a future office model that also presents more innovation and more integration and more inclusion is the hub and spoke model. We've all been hearing about the hub and spoke model here and there from many different sources. Um, we decided to really come together and, um, and take a look at what radical thinking in terms of the hub and spoke model could look like. And the way that we see it is a potential um, having the workplace start to transform, rethink, and reshift the way that central business district buildings look and function like, as well as neighborhood, whether suburban or extensions of CBD surrounding neighborhoods, how those neighborhoods could start to be transformed. So um, if we were to start with the the central business district, the city, city neighborhoods and city buildings, what that might start to look like is that we would first right size the headquarter building or the major um, office location for corporations in a CBD so that it is an office that is truly based on uh, experience. So if we were to, for example, take a look at what that ground floor and some of those first few floor um, experiences would look like and think of them as um, a place for experience, for collaboration, for networking, networking either with your clients or with your partners in the industry, 
um, as well as your colleagues. We know um, from a lot of the results we've seen in surveys that one of the main um, items that employees are missing is the networking with their colleagues components, right? At the end of the day, we're all social beings. We need to see people. We need to interact. We need to learn from each other. We need to, to do that through a unplanned, serendipitous encounters um, in addition to those that are planned. So if we end up having a, a, a central business district where buildings are much more thoughtful on that ground level experience and we can start to see the convergence of, of those spaces that support the work functions that people would come into town for, such as I said, collaboration, um, interactions, meetings, networking, um, as well as all of those other functions that people come into CBDs for, retail opportunities, services that are being provided, um, you know, the, the, the art gallery, all of those different cultural experiences that we come into CBDs for. So hold on, let me make sure, let me make sure I'm, I'm following you. Because remember, you got to dumb all this stuff down. I'm just a dumb real estate guy, Irene. You know this, Irene. Um, so I'm imagining from what you're saying that the ground floor of, you know, fill in the blank office tower headquarters becomes kind of this confluence of we work vibe, right? Like maybe there's a ping pong table, but like a brand expression, brand experiential with retail all rolled into one. I mean, what, help me understand kind of what you guys see as, as an example of this, or is this not on the ground floor? Maybe this is, you hit the elevator and when, when the doors open, you're in this just like on a representation of the brand. I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that's what you're saying. So both, um, why couldn't it be on the ground floor as well? You know, what the ground floor offers us is, is direct connectivity to infrastructure, to sidewalks, to the pedestrian experience. Um, also, it gives us the opportunity to start to weave in green space into these buildings. And I think, you know, that is going to, nature and the interaction of nature within our, our workspaces or any kind of built environment, we see that as something that's going to be just much more important. You know, we know that people respond well to nature. One of the things that people enjoy from working at home is being able to work from their patio or to go on walks in their neighborhood um, in between meetings. So I think the ground floor opportunities are there very much so, so that they can incorporate things like natures and parks and walkways. Why can't we walk through a building open up to a courtyard and link to another building that way. You know, we see these things done in other cities. We see it done in Europe and certainly in other places um, around the world. We can start to really think again, think radically, think outside of the box and start to make spaces here that could potentially start to tie into that. And then yes, you know, up on the, on the upper levels, like think of your second, second floor, third floor, those, that lower stack of your buildings, where those could really be spaces to support um, the the workplace of the future, which is very much about storytelling and brand immersion. I want to go in and I want to feel the company that I work for. And I want to go in a space that's going to make me feel the company that I work for. And, you know, we were even saying, what if you could, 
you know, we definitely see flexible spaces, adaptable spaces as the language of the future, a kit apart components, essentially, where you can create different space sizes and requirements to suit your needs. So why couldn't we order up the space that we're looking for to meet the amount of people that we're looking to host in a meeting or a collaboration session? And it's space on demand that gets reconfigured and it's ready for you when you show up to your meeting. So those are the different types of spaces that we believe the workplace will start to support and they'll be enhanced and supported by other experience, such as that ground level experience that we're seeing. So it's almost taken a, a page out of some of the hospitality books, like every room is multifunction and the walls can, can adapt, whether it needs to be a, a small group or maybe an all hands meeting. Um, seems like it's taken a lot of cues from kind of that hospitality uh, ballroom versatility kind of world. That's um, right. And, and I've heard other people mention this, that you know, there's going to be this math, and I haven't heard it talked about in publications, but I've heard it talked about like with conversations with people like you, that the, the line between retail ground floor and office ground floor are going to start to merge into a more just cool space, mm-hmm. right? Like it's going to be Right. It's going to be a little bit of a hybridization going on. And it's not all too far from, from what we see now. I mean, one of my main businesses is amenitizing large buildings. Like, put right. me something really cool on the ground floor. So when, you know, so we have a place to all go to happy hour. We have a place to grab coffee. We have a place to grab a sandwich. You know, it's, uh, it's not necessarily trying to make a bunch of money on the ground floor. It's supporting and amenitizing the asset. Um, so I could absolutely see a world where where those two things start to blur even more. Uh, and you're starting to see it in, in retail world with like the most boring thing in the world, bank branches, right? Like the most boring thing in the world. Nobody's excited to go to their bank branch. And you have people like Capital One and, and Chase and these other people kind of blurring that line of, yeah, you're going to go to the bank, but they have badass coffee and they have badass badass ice cream bar. So, I mean, just a lot of random stuff. So there's certainly precedent for that, for that line to continue to blur. That's exactly right. And if you look at all of those examples, it's about enhancing your experience, the human experience, right? Human centric. Very cool. So give me some other ideas. Obviously you guys put together this incredible future dialogues uh, report and presentation that I'd love to, we'll, we'll figure out a way to link to yeah. uh, or, or, you know, some people are, are going to want to kind of dive in and get nerdy on, on on the details. But what are some of the other takeaways that really struck you from that report? And explain to people what yes. you know what that report is, why you why you guys decided to put so many resources behind it. Well, we know that uh, we we decided to put so many resources behind it because in order to remain relevated and innovative, relevant and innovative you need to, to, to invest and do the work, right? You need to push the boundaries. You need to ask those compelling questions and you need to really challenge the status quo and create um, something that's disruptive, right? Creative disruption, we call it in North Carolina. We really, we wanna be creative disruptors um, and leveraging the fact that we have, you know, incredible global locations that can inform this kind of discussion, you know, London was the lead in really pulling this research together, and they're already seeing examples of 
the things that we're talking about right now happening in their markets. And this is just taking it to a whole other level. So if we want to be a little bit more provocative, I'll continue telling you, you know, some of the ideas that we have for how those buildings can continue. Let's get weird. We're, we're about to get weird. Um, so if, if we just uh, spend some time discussing about that ground floor experience and then maybe what the lower stack of these buildings could start to look like. Remember, we're talking a more uh, right-sized corporate headquarters or right-sized office for a corporation, meaning that people are coming in for the purposes of having this brand immersive experience and using these collaborative spaces and social interactions and networking and all of that. So the more functional types of roles that would happen in the workplace that could happen elsewhere, if we were to remove that from the program, we may start to see um, more space in buildings freeing up, right? Or when buildings are coming out of the ground new, they could be start to be planned and designed with this model in mind. So what happens on the upper stack so that we can really invigorate our cities and make this more dynamic, experiential um, placemaking within our cities? So we, we thought that that higher level of, um, of floors within an office tower could be repurposed for actual living quarters. So if you start to take um, the apartment or condo model and start to integrate that into an office building that has these incredible, you know, corporate headquarters within them and this experiential design on the ground floor. And then we're adding the the living aspect to it, thereby creating a building that is alive 24 hours of the day. So think about what that could look like and what it could look like for the experiences of those individuals that live in those buildings. Yeah, I and think to- that as long as you as long as you're figuring out the ingress egress on the on the front end, which obviously in a new building you have all the time in the world to do. I think it can be super cool. And I think that there would be some CEOs with some baller penthouses uh, um, (laughs) upstairs. That's, That's what I think. So speaking of upstairs, let's take this provocation a little bit further and think about what would happen at the uppermost levels of these buildings and the rooftops. What if we start to create this skyline urban park you know, language on all of these rooftops where these buildings might have, you know, I think we put in our future dialogues, a stargazing tower and spaces to come together, as well as maybe a community garden, you know, things that we're already seeing um, pop up in buildings in New York City, in San Francisco, in in Europe, um, South America. I mean, Spain has incredible amount of roof gardens, wall gardens, vertical gardens all over their buildings. Things. You know, if we start to be more intentional about doing that here, um, it, there could be a whole other landscape located at the at the uppermost levels that then maybe some of these buildings start to connect with each other through a series of, um, you know, skyways. This is pie in the sky provocative thinking, Adam. So. <laughs> I like it. You know, I like it. But, but why not, right? Then all of a sudden we've created the secondary circulation that could help ease up that ground level circulation during a time of future pandemics, which we know we're going to have more than one pandemic. Right. So what, what do you say? Because the knock on Charlotte, and, and I know that the audience isn't, isn't primarily necessarily Charlotte, but we're both in Charlotte, so we'll, we'll keep it Charlotte-centric. Um, Charlotte has always been... A, a banking town 
And that, that obviously cuts both ways. It's amazing because we have tremendous amounts of wealth in Charlotte. Um, it's a financial capital, second biggest behind Manhattan, which is all oh, is incredible. It makes for, makes for a great city, but it also makes for kind of like a meat and potatoes kind of thinking, right? Like I'll give you an example. The restaurant scene in Charlotte up until five years ago was always really lacking because if you weren't a corporate expense account kind of steakhouse, you just didn't do as well. So how do you take these provocative ideas and get more traditional cities like Charlotte to buy in and see the value and not just be like, Oh great. The architects got together and smoke pot for the meeting again. We gotta, we gotta keep these guys in line. Like how do you, how do you get over that kind of old guard thinking in a, in a blue suit kind of town like Charlotte? Well, I do think that um, just going through this experience that the entire world is going through is making people start to think differently and question how to remain relevant. Um, And if we are going to remain relevant, we need to break out of the boxes that we're comfortable thinking in and start to explore new ideas. Um, You know, again, yes, a lot of these ideas and opportunities could involve greater risks. But one thing that I'm hoping is in our favor is that, yes, we have very strong financial institutions rooted in in Charlotte, in in our backyards. Um, These, uh, you know, a huge source of, of business for these companies comes from other companies that are very innovative and entrepreneurial in their thinking and in the way that they launch new products and continue to invent and if we could get into that mindset for ourselves as well as that mindset that our clients are already doing in other places or even here, um, we can start to open up the possibilities for us, right? I'm, I'm encouraged by the uh, growing diversity that Charlotte is encountering with more and more individuals with different life experiences coming to the city. Absolutely. It's a melting pot. Exactly. And what happens is that, you know, and that's myself included, we start to challenge the status quo, right? If, if, If someone who can have experiences like those that I had in tiny little third world countries um, you know, anything is possible. Yes. Do we have to Absolutely. be responsible about it? Do we? Does it have to make sense from an ROI perspective? Are we going to approach it with the best minds come together so that our chances for success are greater? Absolutely. But anything is possible. So, so let's shift gears because um, I, I warned you that you're going to look down at your clock and, and it was going to be 30, 40 minutes in. Uh, and here we are. Let, let's, so we've talked about CBD. Um, not the not the oil that helps you sleep at night, but but central business districts. But that's not kind of the whole picture for what you guys are seeing. I guess we've talked about the hub, right? Now walk me through how the reimagining of the uh, of the central business districts can affect uh, what's happening out where people are actually where the the majority of, of the workers are actually living. That's right. So we just talked about those reasons for coming into CBDs, right? To have that infusion of brand, of experience, of networking, and all of that. Now let's talk about where we do our work when we're not coming in to use the um, the office. So if we take a look at our neighborhoods and how our neighborhoods are supported, 
And we look at now the new models of everybody kind of living and working um, in our neighborhoods side by side to each other. Um, what do we need in order for that to be successful? There are many individuals uh, of all ages, really, that are finding um, that working from home, specifically when working remotely, could be challenging because of Wi-Fi, because of other situations at home that may keep you Parking from being dogs, able to, kids, right, exactly. just you name it, doing man, your best tough. work. Right. Um, so if we start to see how our neighborhoods can start to support this 50% of the population that will be working remotely from these neighborhoods, how can we start to support those functions? Right. So if we take a look at our existing buildings in neighborhoods, if we look at, um, taking those assets that are already there and repositioning them so they can support the functions of a population that is working from these neighborhoods for 50% of the time. First of all, I do think that corporate America will start to pay close attention back to having um, remote locations within suburban or, or just outside of CBD districts to support their work remote employees. Um, so it's interesting because, you know, we went from consolidating satellite uh, real estate to CBDs, and now we're going to look at a model that's not going to go back to what it used to be, but it's going to be a better version, a hybrid of, of both scenarios where we are going back and redistributing some of the business functions so that they're located outside of CBDs, but we're doing it in a way that is much more thoughtful and can support our employees better and support our people better. Irene, do you so, think this opens the door for more suburban, smaller scale, we work industrious type mm -hmm. things? So again, we'll use Charlotte. So, you know, a 15,000 square foot Huntersville, Ballantyne, University, uh, where a city can come or just use a, you know, GE can come in and rent 15,000 square foot blocks for a year, see how other people use it. I mean, I think that makes I tremendous right amounts on. of sense. Mm -hmm. I think you're right on. And I think we're going to start to see some, some unusual partnerships come up because of this. So I do believe that a lot of these um, different workspaces will be different types of co-working spaces. Um, in addition to corporations opening up offices in different locations, but I also see that it's going to there's going to be a great mix of different types of service providers that will be providing these services for these remote employees to use while they're spending their day working in these locations. Um, I could even see some maker spaces coming up as part of the program to create a much more dynamic, creative, um, interactive uh, downtown or, or, or Main Street, right? Let's let's keep downtown, downtown, and this this over here. Let's talk about Main Street and and the neighborhood. Tell, tell people what a maker. Explain to people what maker spaces means. A maker space is a space where individuals that have, um, a, you know, different. Uh, I want to say creative backgrounds, but also more of like people that make stuff, right? Whether that is a trade, whether it's a, um, a product, a, you know, a, or, or an idea. So spaces that can support individuals coming in and either tinkering with prototypes or having ideation sessions on the next big idea that would affect, you know, 
retail or, or restaurant development, spaces for different minds to come together and actually physically create something or create an idea. So, um, and let's, you know, these types of spaces too, it's important for them to be near schools and libraries and healthcare systems because all of those are services that we use on a daily basis. And if we can work at in a location that offers us EC accessibility to these places, we can better support our families and our own personal needs through these shared services. Very helpful. Very helpful. So what else? So suburban spokes, do you think this will affect only office product or do you think it'll bleed into, again, what you talked about uptown to make more kind of combined, you know, multifaceted spaces? How, how does how does that work? I think it'll be combined multifaceted spaces. I mean, we're really looking for a fabric and a fabric to start to to, to shape these neighborhoods, a fabric of an exchange of ideas and goods and services. You know, let's create these think tank type of places for like-minded people coming together, um, sharing of knowledge and skills and, you know, wellness classes for young and old um, learning. Uh, you know, are there possible partnerships with some of the community colleges and universities that we have in our areas that could start to offer, you know, different types of classes um, in these in these areas so that we're continuing to enrich our, our offerings and enrich our people in, 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 you know, in place as well. So, so is this like town center 2.0 kind of thinking? I, I like think mixed so. use, mixed mm-hmm. use, like Nouveau, Mayberry kind of like eat, work, play. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yes. And one thing to keep in mind too is that we do want to create more inclusive spaces that um, really address needs and wants of different types of individuals. Right. So multi-generational, purposeful, adaptable, flexible communities for work and play. And, you know, Adam, I know we've been talking about like Main Street and and suburbs, but don't even go that far. I mean, really, if you take a look at, at some of the more recent redevelopments in South End, when you look at a space like the co-working space Tabris, for example, um, and its location in proximity to um, restaurants and 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 living, you know, it's in a building with living in it already, with a with a courtyard, with access to public transportation, with um, nearby other types of spaces um, that can enhance um, the experience for those that go in and and use that space to conduct their business. It's a scary time, but it's also an exciting time. I mean, my, the thing that fascinates me the most um, about 2020 is just, I mean, we're all insanely adaptable, part of an insanely adaptable species, right? And and I think that the innovations that I'm seeing every day in the retail world are fascinating. The innovations that, that I hear uh, people like yourself um, speak about are, are absolutely fascinating. Tell me, we're, we're starting to run short on time. So tell me one more thing out of your report that has just stuck in your mind uh, that you want to make sure that people hear. Well, and I don't know if this is so much out of our report, but something that we just really firmly believe in, in at Perkins and & Will, and specifically Perkins & Will of North Carolina, 
is creating um, creative placemaking that is inclusive and that pays homage and celebrates different cultures and the history of those different cultures in the different locations where they are, where we could potentially create them, right? So take example, thinking of, of Charlotte and the significant history in the Charlotte fabric um, for the African-American community, you know, the Latino community, all of these other communities that really enrich um, enrich what we do every day, enrich the growth of our city, and how spaces that um, can be inclusive of that storytelling um, can just enhance the community engagement and the resiliency of our city for generations to come. It's a great way to put it. It's a great way to put it. So before I let you go, I want, I want to ask you one quick follow-up question. Just, it has to be, I normally do three or four. I'm going to let you off with one. Give me one thing other than nature. You already use that, that you use for inspiration. It can be a, an author, a book, a poem, a design trade. It can be, you know, something that you see every day. Give me something that keeps you inspired uh, since you work in such a creative uh, business. Music. Excellent answer. Excellent answer. Uh, any, any type of music in particular or anything? Um, anything. It depends on what my mood is. I, I have been uh, for a very long time a big fan of just your kind of, um, you know, Kruder and Dorfmeister, Thievery Corporation, kind of chill lounge music. I feel it transports me to different places, but I'll break it up with some you know, good Latin music um, of, it could be Cuban from the 40s all the way to something that's more relevant to R&B and new R&B and classical R&B. So yeah, music. So you you guys heard it here. If you need something from Irene, you got to get to her through through the right song. That's how to get her to pay attention to you. Um, All right. Before, before I let you go, tell people a, how they connect, can connect with you with Perkins and Will and, and how they can find access to this report that you guys just put out. Absolutely. So we have all of our resources up on our website. So www.perkinswill.com. Um, you can find our future dialogue pieces there, as well as other thought-provoking um, ideas and you know thoughts on the future of the workplace, the future of higher education, the future of healthcare, many other futures on there. Um, and to connect with me personally um, on our website, there is a link for the Charlotte Studio, and I am on there. Um, uh, otherwise, feel free to Google me, but I can be reached at irene.vogelsong at perkinswill.com. That's just a modest way of saying that she has like a huge digital footprint, and you can't, you can't Google architecture without, without running into her. Uh, irene, th- I just want to take a second and acknowledge you, say thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing uh, your experience and your research and your knowledge base with the with the listeners. Uh, I really appreciate it. I always appreciate our time together. And I just want to say thank you. I do too. I really enjoyed this, Adam. I'm Good. glad you talked me into it. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Twisted your arm. Thank All right. You. Thanks, Irene. Once again, Take my name is Adam Williams. This is Retail Redeveloped.